Good evening. This lecture, Bezrat Hashem, will be Lerfuat Shlomo Ben Miriam as Corona, also Tzvi Ben Rachel, also as Corona, Lerfuat Shlema, and Lerfuat and Atzlacha and Tshuva of Avram Yechiel Ben Nechama, Pearl, and Miriam Bat Dvora Irena, and Lerfuat Cyril Shifra Bat Sara also has Corona. And Leavdil, Leavdil, Leilui Nishmat Sophia Sonia Bat Sara, Leilui Nishmat Michel Ben Daniel, Ulatzlacha Daniel Ben Michel. And Leilui Nishmat, Yerachmiel Herschel, Ben Israel, and also Zivug Agun Bimera of Yuda, Israel, Ben Rachel, Chaya. Tov. And uh, easy bird for Leora Bat Avraham. Bezrat Hashem. Tov. Baruch Hashem, every week the situation gets worse and worse. We also have to say Baruch Hashem for that. The Gemara says a person has to bless Hashem when, is, when things is on the way up and when things is on the way down. When things are when things are great, we understand why we have to thank Hashem and bless Him and uh, and feel great. When things are on the way down, we're not always having the same mood to bless Hashem and thank Him for giving us these punches one week after the other, or one day after the other. So, Sleepy Joe took over, and his regime is already making a huge damage. Already, the damage that they made is beyond words, what can words describe. Amash, let me give you a little bit update. Yesterday, he nominated a Palestinian Palestinian that was in charge of the impeachment, the first impeachment for Trump, the one who made all the noise was some kind of a Palestinian. Terrible. He's going to be in charge of the intelligence in America. You know what it means? It's like bringing the cheese to the cat and ask the cat to watch it. That's exactly what it means. How much dumber you can be? Impossible. That's the highest record of stupidity. The dumbest person on earth became the number one leader of the world. The dumbest person on earth became, this is what HaKadosh Baruch Hu shows us, that the clowns of the world, the biggest idiot, the biggest moron will run the planet. And this is all because we are being punished. No other reason. Don't think that, oh yeah, don't, don't worry, things will, will turn into bed, better. No. It's only going to get worse, and it's only the beginning. We're going to have a nightmare in these four years. Next thing, he already announced the country is open for Muslim immigration. He canceled the ban on all the Muslim countries, meaning millions of Arabs, Muslims can come here. Some of them have very extreme ideology. They support terrorism. Of course, not everyone. But obviously, we never claim everyone is a murderer. 
It's enough that one out of a hundred is a fanatic crazy one from Al-Qaeda or one of these Muslim brothers, and they're going to come here in massive amount, and I don't have to tell you what will happen in the next eight years in America. Okay, so you look at France and England, see what's happening there with them. Then, then that's going to happen right here in New York, around the corners here. Just wait for it to come, unfortunately. Next thing, he canceled the ban that Trump put on transgender to join the army. Trump said, I have nothing against these people. If they want to change their sex, it's their problem. But why should the army pay for it? You want to do it? It's going to cost $300,000. Pay it from your money. Or if your father wants to pay for it, let him pay for it. Why taxpayers have to pay for every mental case in America? This is our responsibility to pay for these sodomite people, to pay for their nonsense. Now when they join the army, the army has to pay for it. And that's going to be a lousy trick because there's probably thousands of them and they will join the army just for this purpose because they cannot fulfill their crazy dream. They cannot pay for it on their own. They need a lot of money for it. And a lot of them are broke. They will join the army and each one of them would cost us hundreds of thousands of dollars. And in the end, they will commit suicide anyway. Because 40% of them commit suicide in the end. This is how dumb the President of the United States is. Cannot be dumber than that. But they only get worse. Not only that, on top of all of that, it means, this is what it means, that every man that will claim, now from now on, I'm a woman, I'm a woman, will be entitled to join women's team. Let's say you have sport, soccer for women. A man will come and say, I want to join the team. So you're a man, it's for women. So I'm sorry, I'm a woman. That's the new law in America. A woman will say, I'm a man, and you have to accept her. And a man will say, I'm a woman. Next thing, a man will walk into ladies' uh, uh, locker room. And bathroom, what are you doing here? Oh, I will scream, I'm sorry, I'm a woman. That's the law of America. It started with Hossein Obama, the fool, the fool from Harvard, and it's continuing with his advisor, Sleepy Joe. That's what's happening here. <sighs> crazy, I'm crazy. You heard about uh, Dominion, that's the company who actually was in charge of the, the equipment for the election. Today they announced they sue Rudy Giuliani for $1.3 billion. I didn't know Rudy Giuliani has $1.3 billion to pay them. Now, not, it's called in Hebrew, Aratzachta vegam Yarashta. First, they steal the election, rigged everything. <laughs> And now, when they, when they got away with their, with their scam, they come after the police that chased them for harassment. This is the way they are, these Democrats. They already announced, everyone who supported Trump, we are coming after you. That's just the beginning of what's going to happen. That's just the beginning. They would, they would impeach Trump. They would say he cannot run in four years. Not that he will win because they already stole the country, that's it. But that's what's going to happen. And on top of all that, 
these Democrats organizing a ban and every person that was in the government of Trump. Anyway, they're, they're all fired. What do you need to organize a ban on them? Guess why? No. It just show you what kind of idiot childs they are. Childish. What's the reason for the ban? That they will not be able to write books and sell them and make millions. That's what they worry about. That all of them, they're going to write books, like Hussein Obama making millions from his book. He just bought a $12 million home. Cash. Doesn't need mortgage, Hussein. He has hundreds of millions. Who knows how much the Iranian paid him for releasing $150 billion. I'm sure he got a nice commission for it. Let's not be an idiot, you know. We know for sure what he got. But this is it. So now if somebody would want to write a, a book, such as President Trump or any one of his ministers, there will be a ban, organized ban by all the book publications and the, and the channels and that, God forbid, maybe they'll make 10, 20 million dollars from their experiences in the White House. They understand? And then they call this country democracy. <laughs> democracy? Freedom of speech? Freedom of what? Freedom of wicked, sodomized people? Yes. No freedom for righteous people. No freedom to people that have still common sense. No freedom for them. You think in Israel is any better? You are dreaming. The Israeli government is in a total panic. They totally lost their mind. They closed the airport in Israel now for two weeks. Thousands of Israeli citizens that went on a business trip to different countries. A lot of Israelis go, I take this, that. They get locked out of the country now for two weeks. All the flights got canceled. They cannot come back home. First of all, they're going to have to spend for hotels now two more weeks. It's going to be thousands of dollars. Let's say $200 a night. multiplied by 14 more days, 2800 right there. Then to pay for the change of the flight, a few more hundred dollars. And on top of that, food, restaurants, you know. So everybody already is going to lose about $5,000 just because... The, the fools of the government, they cannot handle the pressure of the wicked media. The media control the world. They keep bashing them because of the rising corona, and they're losing their mind. They can't handle the pressure. How many leaders you have like Trump that laugh in their face and did whatever he want, ignoring them, speaking to the people through his own page, regardless what they say on but in Israel, it's not like that. They're very weak. Most people cannot handle the pressure. So they close the, they close the airport. You know how many people now cannot enter Israel? Some people, God forbid, they will need to go to a funeral, this, that. Who knows what can happen? And who knows it's going to be only two weeks. It's very possible they'll extend it even to a month. So that's, uh, that's Israel now. That's what's going on. Now, in the last two or three days, there is an intifada in Israel. I don't know if you know. Riots are now in style. It's very common now. All over the world there are riots. It started here. It goes now to different countries. Riots. 
This time who's riding? Haredim, ultra-Orthodox people. In Bnei Brak, look like Gaza in the last few days. They burned the bus. In, in Jerusalem, they destroyed the new train. Very expensive, this new train, electric train. They spill black paint all over the windows, real black paint. It's going to take a year to clean it, if you can even clean it. They made a disaster. The question is, if religious people feel the pain and they're frustrated and they run outside to demonstrate, do they have permission to vandalize public property? Some people say that it's really not Haredim, that's the lefty activists, and they caught on camera five of them. They have a special shirt with some X on it. Then with no kippah, no nothing, short pants. Obviously, they're not Haredim. They are the ones who make all... That's what they do in Gaza. They come to the Palestinians, they give them some money, start to throw rocks. And they make a video, and they sell it to Europe. That's what they do. Over here, very possible that they do, they do it, but you cannot deny that some of the people who participate in the riots were religious people. Cannot deny it. The truth is the truth. Whether you like it or not. <laughs> Jerusalem and in Bnei Brak. Like I said, some of them were fakes, some of them were real. And the question is, the question that we have to ask is, if a person wants to make a demonstration, that's, your, that's, that's uh, like they say, freedom. You can stand on the street and scream. What hurts? You can scream against the government. You can scream against the police brutality. You can scream about the wicked people who made Israel, Sodom, and Gomorrah. You can scream about a lot of different things. But there's no permission to make one scratch to public property. Because if you do, if you break a light, if you vandalize a bus, if you vandalize a bus stop, or you burn cars on the street, or stuff like that, to keep the laws of the Torah. So if, if you want to fight against the wicked people, stand on the street and scream. If they come and beat you up, that's a different story. Someone who comes to kill you, you're allowed to kill him first. But as long as it didn't happen, you have to be, it has to be organized. You stand in a park, I don't know where, and you scream, and you, you put signs, and you scream, you, you protest against the wicked people. But remember, even when you want to do something, even when you want to protest against the wicked people that destroys the Torah and Judaism in Israel, you have to follow the rules of the Torah. You can't do whatever you like. You can't just go and burn things. If it's Avodah Zarah, different story. Avodah Zarah, mitzvah to destroy. Then Hashem told you, oh, yeah, but it cost them a million dollars. That's their problem. If the fools made a god and they bow down to it inside the holy land, you tell them, get it out of the land and leave the place because the land cannot have idol worshippers inside. So you get rid of it. If they don't want, you're allowed to get rid of it because this is one of the things the Torah says, to clean the land from the idols of the goyim. And that was the first commandment when we enter Israel, not to leave any of their idols. Unfortunately, Israel is full of churches today, which is all a place of idol worshipping. And all kinds of other religions 
Buddhism, all kinds of cults who are idol worshippers inside Jerusalem with no shame in the house of God, in the most holy, the holiest city in the world, they have no, no shame inside, right next to the house of God, that they come with a fake religion and idol worshipping nonsense, mamash in the holiest place. Just like the Muslims, they build, they build their own mosque inside Bet HaMikdash, Kodesh HaKodeshim, and their children play soccer there. You can go every day see how they play there, where the Kohanim used to be. The holiest place in the world, the, the Arab kids play soccer, curse each other over there. This is where the Gemara said when Rabbi Akiva saw foxes walking there, everybody cried and he was laughing. They asked him, why are, you, why are you laughing? You see, the house of God became a place of foxes walking around. And what did Rabbi Akiva say to them? I'm looking at how the end's going to be. You're looking at right now. Yes, you're right, you have to cry. But what's going to be in the end? In the end, Bezrat Hashem, it's going to be rebuilt, and this time it will never be destroyed. Top, whatever. Top, let's move on. So like I said, the Israeli government officially lost their mind. They don't know what to do. How many people died from corona in Israel in the last 24 days? 2021 started 24 days ago, right? In 2020, approximately 3,500 people died. The entire 2020. Corona started at the beginning of March, something like that. So about 10 months, 3,500 people died according to the numbers of the Israeli government, which is 350 people per month, average, right? Now, just now, 24 days, 1,200 people already died. More than three times more than the average of, 20, of 2020. That's horrible news, because if it's going to continue to grow like that, we can face more than 20,000 deaths by the end of this year. But not only that, the mutation, the British mutation, the South African mutation, the Brazilian mutation, this different mutation of corona now, is much, much more deadly and also, it's affecting children. The first original corona, children did not even feel it. 99.9% .9 of the kids had it, they didn't even know they had it. Continue as usual. Yes, they can pass it to adults, but for the children, there was no life risk. Also, people younger than 50, the chance that they will die from it was very, very small. Maybe if they're very heavy, and they have asthma, or they have smokers, or they have cancer, or diabetics, yeah, maybe they have a higher risk. But regular healthy people, younger than 50, the chance that they will die was almost, doesn't exist. But now it's a whole different story. The Israeli government were planning to vaccinate people from 50 and up, and that's it. And that should save the country. What did Hashem do? Oh yeah, you think you can fool me? I'm giving you a disease, a virus, to wake you up to do tshuva. Not only you're not doing tshuva, you became more anti-religious. More anti-religion. You're fighting the Torah even more. So what will I do? I will bring you something new. Let's see what you can do. <laughs> We're lucky 
that the, the Pfizer and Moderna, they claim that their vaccine is good enough against this mutation. If they're right or wrong, I don't know. We will find out. But that's what they claim today. They did their test. The vaccine is good for, so far for all the mutations in the world. But you can only vaccinate kids from 16 and up. You cannot vaccinate children under 16. It's against the international law. Why? Why? If a kid 14 may get it and die now with a new mutation, why you can't give him vaccine? What's the difference, 18 or 16? The answer is, when this company developed the, the vaccines, they worked on it for about 11 years. It started when Ebola came out. And only in the last year, they modified it to be specifically against corona. Because all the viruses are similar. They all have these spikes. The whole concept of this vaccine is to fight the spikes. What's the difference? Ebola spikes, SARS. Now it's corona. They have to make some adjustment. That's it. But 90% was already ready for them. And they tested it. On a few thousand people, they paid each one of them $1,000. You had all kinds of volunteers who came. They needed the money. So they, they actually tested it on them. The problem is they did not test children younger than 16. They made all their tests from 16 and up. Why is it? My assumption is because maybe you cannot take children under 16 and use them as guinea pigs because they're not mature enough to, to make such a decision. So, and the parents cannot make a decision for them, so you need them to be adults. So I guess the law is the same way you must be in school until you're 16. Up to 16, if you're not in school, your parents can go to jail because it's the obligation in almost every country in the world that children must be in school, they can't walk in the streets. So once they're 16, they can say, I don't want to go to school. Leave me alone. And there's nothing you can do to the parents, because they're old enough to get married even. They're already people, that's it. 16 is a man already. So maybe that's the reason. That's my, my guess. I don't know for sure. Maybe that's the reason. One way or the other, they won't be able to give vaccines to children. And it brings us to square one. Why? Because you can get a vaccine and you are protected 95%. From every 100 people that will get this vaccine, 95% of them are not in a risk to get corona sickness. 5% will still get it. 5% will still get it because it's not 100% safe. So 5% will still get it. However, Every six months, the antibody that the vaccine is creating will have to be renewed. So they don't know for sure if you're going to need to get twice a year the vaccine or once a year. But for sure, once a year. So every year we're going to need to get it. And it's going to be two shots. One shot, three weeks later, another one. Every year now. That's it. That's the new world now. You need to get it first time, second time. The question is, do you have to get it every six months? Or every year, we will find out. Depends how long the, the antibody stays in the, in the body. But there's one problem. If children now are not vaccinated, they're going to get it for sure, and they'll pass it to people. Now, when you, when you got a vaccine, and someone with corona was standing and breathing in your face, you will, it's contagious. You will get the corona from him. 
Like you, the vaccine made you antibody to fight it. So you won't feel anything. You won't get fever, you won't cough, you won't have diarrhea, none of these symptoms. You won't lose your taste. But because you just got it from someone, it's in your body. Your body is strong enough not to let it kill you. But if somebody else will come near you, he can get it from you and die. Even though you are protected, that's what they claim now. So basically, this vaccine is not going to solve the problem. It's only going to make less people die. But in reality, you cannot run away from Hashem. It leads me to believe that this time HaKadosh Baruch Hu is not going to back off. That's it. I'm going with you to the end. That's what it looks like. And if that's the case, it means that the situation will only get worse and worse, and soon it's going to be a lot of riots and a lot of hungry people, and people will begin to shoot at each other here on the streets of New York and in Israel. You can see already a lot of riots all over the world. It's going to be a total chaos. Total. And there's nowhere to hide. Where are you going to hide? What are you going to do? Take food and hide in the mountains? You're going to hide in the forest with the snow over there? With the bears? What are you going to do? Where are you going to run? This is Rabotai, the new reality. One expert say today, I'm sorry to disappoint you, but the world will never go back to be the same way. One specialist say today, it was all over. So this is it. So what do we have to do now? We have to, like I always say, you can beat him, join him. You can beat Hashem. You can't say to Hashem, it's my way or the highway. You know, you're going to have to obey the rules of Hashem, whether you like it, whether you don't. Whether you agree with that, whether you're not. Whether you're righty, whether you're lefty. Whether you're smart, whether you're stupid. Whether you're male, whether you're female. Whether you're Jew, whether you're Goy. It does not matter. Everybody will go down on their knees. That's what's going to happen. And that's written in the Zohar. That before a person leaves this world, everybody goes on their knees and bow down to Hashem. Lefanav ichreu kol yordei afar. Everyone who goes to the ashes, to the sand, will bow down in front of Hashem. Jews and non-Jews. It doesn't matter how religious you are and how anti-religion you are. There is no, nothing. You're going to have to do it whether you like it or not. My suggestion to each one of you, whether you're Jewish, whether you're not, is start digesting the fact that right now the world is in a serious trial. There's a lot of people dying. It's a serious judgment already for one year. And it's only getting worse. More people died now than ever before. Even though they already gave vaccine to 3 million Israelis, every day between 50 to 100 people are dying from it. There is one person, his name is Yuda Meshizav. He's in charge of Zaka. You know what Zaka is? When the Arabs blow up the bus, they come and they pick up, pick up the heads, the hands, the legs. They put them together and put them, they, they, have to, they have to match which leg belongs to what body because it's a big chaos over there. 
Nobody wants to do such thing, especially not volunteers. They do it, it's a non-profit organization. Yes, they raise a lot of donations, but the people who actually come to do it, to pick up a body, to pick up a hand, to pick up a leg, because it's detached from the body when they put a, bar, a, a, a bomb. That's called Zaka. They get an alarm, an alert. Quickly they come, middle of the night, like, just like an ambulance. And they come and they begin to pick up everything and scrape the blood. A horrible job. He's the head of this organization. His brother died from corona a month ago. His mother died from corona a week ago. And his father died from corona yesterday. Father, mother, and brother in one month. He's sitting Shiva a month already. You understand? No. Here you go. Those for those fools who deny there is such a thing, Corona. There's nothing. There's nothing. Much nothing. Two million people died. There's nothing. So many people suffer in hospitals, cannot breathe. Thousands of people in Israel connect to machine, fighting just to take one more breath. There's nothing. It's a regular flu. That's how dumb people can be. And that's all because of the YouTube conspiracies. Massive brainwash makes people dumber by the minute. People who used to learn Torah, people who used to be smart, they became completely stupid. I see from their comments. Even some of my ballet tshuva who used to be very serious, I'm noticing now that they're becoming complete fools. Something about this vaccine is separating the world to positive and negative people. I'm beginning to see it. It's a pattern here. Yes, it's normal that you will fear the vaccine. It's, there's logic here. But remember what I said in my last lecture? Once the top eight rabbis in the world announce, today they published another video with Rav Chaim Kanievsky, eight or ten questions his grandson asked. Should pregnant women get it? Yes. People that are afraid should get it? Yes. Everything, yes, 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 yes. Everything, yes. People claim that it wasn't checked enough. Should they, are they allowed not to take it? They must take it. People that do not take it, are they potentially murderers? Yes. That's his ruling. If you refuse to take it and someone will get the vaccine from you, you the virus from you, you will be held responsible for his death. Just like a murderer. You should know it. That's the psak of the number one rabbi in the world today on a video live. Not somebody told somebody. You see him? He asked from a paper all the question, and he say yes. And spikuach nefesh. Should we get the vaccine to young people? Yes. Everything, yes. 100%. So, once the top eight rabbis in the world said that you must take it, the argument is over. That's it. You don't anymore express your opinion in public. If you yourself wants to have a doubt about it, it's between you and Hashem. Hashem read your mind, nobody else should know it. You're not allowed to write anywhere your comments. You're not allowed to write that you disagree with the big rabbis in the world. Definitely you're not allowed to write they have no idea what they're talking about like some fools do on the, on the comments. And everyone that talks about it, you have to say the big 
Rabbi Chachamim of the world rule that everybody must take this vaccine and that's the end of the argument. It's not relevant what I think. That's a kosher Jew. If you don't speak like this, you are not kosher. 100%. You cannot say, oh, I'm very religious. I learn Torah every day. It doesn't matter what you do. If you go into an argument with the big rabbis of the world, you're breaking the rules of the Torah and the Gemara and the Shulchan Aruch. We have rules. Everything they will instruct you to do, you must listen to them. Do not move left or right from their instruction. Because if you will do that, you should be put to death and clean the negative out of the nation of Israel. That's a verse in Parashat Shoftim. You don't have to believe me. Just go and read it. Open Parashat Shoftim and see what the Torah said about someone that dare to disobey the direct instruction of the top rabbis in the world. Now, even if a thousand speakers as great, as charismatic as they are, people that have millions of views on YouTube, great influential speakers who make thousands of ballet tshuva, even it can be a great Rosh Yeshiva, even it can be a Dayan in a Beddin, Av Beddin, Talmid Chacham, if thousands, thousands, 10,000 Rabbanim will come, and said, don't dare to take it. And Rav Chaim Kanievsky alone, you'll say, wrong. You must take the vaccine. You must listen to him and not to the 10,000 Talmidei Chachamim. We're not talking about conservative and reform wicked rabbis here. There's no question about that. We're talking of Bedin, Big Machzir Betshuva, Rosh Yeshiva, Dayan in a Bedin, Big Rabbanim. Every one of them deserves to kiss his hand when you see him. They know tons of Torah. How much they know? 70%, 75%, 80%, 65%. They, they have a lot of knowledge. Torah is wider than the ocean. But then you have Rav Chaim Kanievsky. 89 years of Torah around the clock. No one argue that he's the biggest Chacham. And who is the biggest Chacham in Halakha today in the world? Rav Schlerenbroch and Rav Zilberstein, let me give you the names. For all these people who ask me again and again, what's the name of these big eight rabbis that you say? So I will repeat it. Biggest Ashkenazi Chacham in the world, Rav Chaim Kanievsky, Rav Schlerenbroch, Rav Zilberstein, Rav Shalom Cohen, Rosh Yeshivat Porat Yosef, is the one who took the place of Rav Ovadia Yosef. Nasi Moetzet Chachmea Torah, the chief rabbi of Israel, Rav Yitzchak Yosef, the biggest Faradi Chacham in the world, Rav Mazuz. That's right, there are six. And who are the other two? Uh, you have Rav Lau, the chief Ashkenazi rabbi of Israel as well. And one more. Bottom line, I counted eight top. Huh? The biggest medical expert, yeah, but again, like I say, even if some doctors will say to take it and some will say not to take it, in the end, we will do what the big Chachamim say. And once the biggest Chachamim in the world say, you know, you must take it, that's the end of the argument. So here you go. 
Now you're going to come tell me my rabbi in the shul say not to take a risk. My cousin is a big uh, uh, Dayan in a bed in say not to take it. That's not relevant. Don't waste your time. It's, that's it. You got to do it because the Torah says you must listen to the big Chachamim of the generation. Oh, the, the eighth one was Rav Benzion Mutsafi, another big one, Sfaradi, big Chacham, very big. Also say, and he himself went and took it in front of a camera. He took the vaccine. Yes, you're not allowed to listen to your personal rabbi if he tells you not to take it when the Gdole Ador unanimously say you must take it. And your rabbi has a big chutzpah to tell you not to take it when Rav Chaim Kanievsky and all the giant Chachamim say to take it. He should be ashamed of himself that he dared to speak in the public against Gdole Israel. Someone like this jeopardizing his Olam Abba and it doesn't matter how righteous he is. Because once the top rabbis in the world say to take it, the argument is over. Many times in life, if you remember, there came a kosher switch. Remember the kosher, kosher switch a few years ago? One time, a person that invented the kosher switch, that you'll be able to turn the lights on on Shabbat through a machine, a computer device, that randomly will choose when to light the light. You don't really ignite anything. You just move a piece of plastic... And now the computer is scrambling and will decide if in 10 seconds or 17 seconds it will send the pulse that will go through the whole... The, it's a whole process that will be, it will be kosher on Shabbat. This, this person, which I know him personally, he went to some big poskim. Sfaradim and Ashkenazim. Av bedin here, av bedin there. Few big Talmidei Chachamim. He showed them how the switch worked. These rabbis checked everything, and they gave him permission, some of them even on video. Usually it's in writing. Some of them spoke to the video, that there's no problem with this switch whatsoever. Then he came to me. He came to show it to me. So what do you think? I saw it. I said, I don't see any problem here. It's 100% kosher, and it will prevent billions of Chilulei Shabbat. Imagine if every secular Jew would install them in his house, he can turn the lights on and off non-stop and there's not going to be one Chilul Shabbat. In hospitals, in a lot of places that they constantly turn on and off the light, there will be a great savior. I was very happy about it. So, all of a sudden, big rabbis started to speak against it. One, Rav Belsky, was the Posek of America. Rav Belsky was one of the biggest rabbis in America, big Talmud Chacham. He was totally against it. Rav Chaim Kanievsky says against it. Few other big rabbanim in the world, they say they're against it. What did I do right away? I had a lecture that night in Englewood. You can go and see it online. I came up in front of a camera. I said, I am 100% for it. But because the biggest rabbi in the world decided not to use it, I cancel my opinion in front of their opinion. Who am I to disagree? Even though, I don't see any problem here. Maybe they have their different reasons. Maybe they were afraid that it would look that people turning on the lights. Maybe it's Marit Ein. Whatever the reason was. Once the biggest rabbis in the world say, it's not kosher, you must learn to be quiet. Forget what I told you. Everything I told you, 
get it out of your head. Why? Because Rav Chaim Kanievsky said it's not kosher. What happened if you have two biggest rabbis in the world? One says it's allowed, and the other says it's not allowed. It happened a few times. Rav Eliashiv said it's not allowed. Rav Ovadia Yosef said it's allowed. That's a different story. Because if you come and say to your student it's not allowed, and he's going to come and say, but Rav Ovadia says it's allowed, then you can answer Rav Eliashiv, which is just as big, Say, there's machloket of two giant chachamim. At least you have who to count on. Why? You did, like the Torah say. The Torah say you follow the chief of the generation. And they disagree about a, a certain matter. You can follow the one. If you follow Rav Ovadia Yosef and he say it's allowed, you follow him. If you follow Rav Yashiv and he say it's not allowed, you follow him. We have cases like this all the time. But... When all the big Chachamim say, you must take it, and when the biggest Chacham, Rav Chaim Kanievsky, say, if you're not taking it, you are a potential murderer, you have to be super, super, super stupid to even talk another word against it. Don't talk. Nobody cares about your opinion. Don't express your opinion to the whole world in, on the internet. You're not exactly the Rambam or Mande Amar that the whole world needs to know your opinion about vaccines. Just be quiet. You disagree, be quiet. You don't have to tell the world that you think you know better than the biggest rabbis in the world when you barely know how to read two words in Hebrew. Most of the people who scream against it, bring them to me. I'll show you that they can read one sentence in Hebrew. But they think there's some, some important chachamim. So please, everybody should know his place. Even if you're big Chacham, like I said, even if you're big Dayan, even if you're Rabbi of Shul, even if you are a Rosh Yeshiva, even if you are the biggest Machzir Betshuva in the world, even if you have millions of views to every one of your lectures, you're still not in the level of Rav Chaim Kanievsky to come and say, I know better than him. Right? That's it. And Rav Chaim Kanievsky, in case you didn't know, his father was also big Dolador. His father, his father was Gdolador. His father-in-law, Gdolador. His uncle, Gdolador. All his life, he grew up with the biggest rabbis in the world. From a very young age. So therefore, here you go, Rabotai. That's it. The argument should be over right here. We saw yesterday, two days ago in a parasha, we saw something very interesting that relates to our situation right now. Remember, everything you read in the Torah, everything you read in the Torah, it's relevant to every hour of our life. Every pasuk in the Torah, there, it's a school for life. Let me give you some examples how the parasha that we read two days ago, how many things we can learn for our, our day, every day of life. The Torah say that Hashem said to Moshe, I am going to teach Paro and his nation a lesson they will never ever forget. The word that Hashem is using, What does it mean, Le'it'alel? What does it mean, Le'it'alel? The answer is to put someone down but not in a regular way. 
you can take a person and bring him down by giving him one punch and he's on the floor. He was on top of the universe. You give him one punch and he's on the bottom now. But that happened in one shot. There is another way to do it is to tease him. Meaning to make him think that he's in control. Meaning you give him a punch and you, you pick him up right away. And you give him another one and you pick him up. And you give him another one and you pick him up. Every time you pick him up, he thinks he's back in control. That's called alalti. I'm going to do such a thing to Paro, meaning I'm going to make fun at him to the point that the bottom line will be that he will run at midnight with his pajama begging to the Jewish children, please tell me where Moshe is. And the children will make fun at him. One will tell him, go left. One will say, no, he's there. One will say, no, he's there. And he's going to go like this, like mad. Crazy mad madness. Scream, please, tell me where Moshe is. This is the end of the process. But until we get there, we're going to find now how Hashem did it. Because it's relevant to every day's life when we see all the wicked people around us. So... It's written in Tehilim, Mizmor Shir Leom HaShabbat, Tov Lodot LaHashem Ulzamer L'Shimcha Elyon, Lagid Baboker Chasdecha, Adam wrote this Mizmor. It's the first Mizmor was written in a creation, praising God. In the middle of this Mizmor, in Tehilim, it's written, Ish Ba'ar Lo Yeda, Uchsi Lo Yavin Et Zot. A person that is ignorant, will not know. Uchsil, a fool, will not understand. What? Bifroach reshaim kmo esev. The wicked people are filling the whole world. Everywhere you go, wicked people. Everyone, no yamaka, no tzitzit, no nothing, no fear from God. So many liberals, so many lefties, so many gays, so many thieves, so many mechalelei Shabbat, so many people with rotten ideology, no honesty, all kinds of great ungratefulness. Unbelievable amount of wicked people. From seven and a half billion people, for sure seven billion are extremely wicked, according to the rules of the Torah. Jews and non-Jews. So Adam, in his vision, he wrote it already. An ignorant will not know and a fool will not understand. What? That the wicked people are popping everywhere like weeds. You know, the weeds grow everywhere on a driveway. You have a little crack on a driveway. You come a week later, you already have weeds growing. You don't understand on the side of the house. On a wall, everywhere you go, weeds in the middle of the road, weeds everywhere. And they don't need water and they don't need treatment. And no matter how much you try to get rid of them, they never leave you alone. It costs you thousands of dollars to try to kill them and they laugh in your face. They're always coming back. No matter how great of a gardener you are, they will always do whatever they want. You can't get rid of them. There's a reason why he gave this example, Esev. They can't eliminate it. They're popping like weeds. The most wicked ones are popping higher than everyone else. There's a lot of wicked, ordinary wicked. 
but the most wicked one are taking control in key positions everywhere you go. The head of the police corrupted, the head of this, the head of that, the president of the United States, the president of the Palestinian, the head of the PLO, the head of the Hamas, the head of Al-Qaeda, the head of the universities. They, they teach that you came from a monkey, there's no God, I'm an atheist. All kinds of things like this, everywhere you go. Wicked people took over the world completely. What's the next verse? Moment before I will destroy them for eternity, I give them this illusion that they are really in control. 10 years, 20 years, he's the head of this, he's the head of that. Let them celebrate for a year or two or five. Until I bring them to justice. But in the next world, the justice is a lot more strict than the jail here. Or any other judgment that you ever saw. It's very, very strict. And that's exactly what Hashem is doing to Paro. For one year, Paro is in charge. I won't send them. Okay, I will. No, I won't. Yes, I will. No, I won't. And Hashem is playing with the game. No problem. It's a part of the plan. Every time I bury them a little more and bring them up and bury them more until I'm going to give them such an end, knockout, that they will never ever forget it even thousands of years later. Everybody in the world knows what was their end. Let's see a little bit more details about what I just said. So, it's Italalti, Rashi say, Sihakti, make fun. I will make fun at this, this empire of Egypt. What does it mean? HaKadosh Baruch Hu is making the heart of Paro stubborn, hard, harder than what it was. He can't send the Jewish nation. The question we have to ask, we have two chapters in the Torah that describe the ten plagues. Parshat Vaera describes seven plagues. Parshat Bo, three. Why did they cut it in the middle? Why they did not make one parasha to describe all the ten plagues? Why seven plus three? Either the whole, the whole ten in one, or if you want to split it, put five and five. Why seven plus three? The answer is, there is a difference between the first seven and the last three. What's the difference? The first seven, Paro was still able to repent. He could have said, you're right, I'm sorry, let's cut it out. I've sinned, I've done wrong, I apologize. I'll let you go. Take food, take money, take some sheep. We'll make it up to you. We're sorry about what we did. If, you, if God wants you to go, I'm sorry, God, for what I've done. Here, whatever you want, it's yours. That will create a situation that Hashem really could not do anything to them because they repent. When a person is repenting, even if it was a very big criminal, the Gemara says, and if you doubt 
that this applies to Goim, I'll give you a proof. We have few very famous wicked Gentiles in the world. One was Rachav. She was the biggest prostitute in the world. You cannot be worse if you're a woman to be international prostitute. I don't have to tell you how much God despites you, right? Even the Goyim understand that. You don't need to be a Jew to know it. And what, what happened? She made repentance. She became modest. She converted to Judaism and married the most important person in the whole world. Who? Yoshua Ben-Nun, the student of Moshe Rabbeinu, that took over control of the Jewish nation, speaking to angels. Holy Yoshua Ben-Nun is the one who occupied Israel. He is the one who was in charge of dividing Israel to the tribes. Very important person. He is a person that God himself nominated to take the place of Moshe. After Moshe wanted his children to inherit him, Hashem said to him, no, your children are not worthy enough. Your student, Yoshua, he is the one. He never left you. He always listened to you. He was always zealous for your honor. He never ever betrayed you. He is taking your place. And who did he marry from all the women in the world? He couldn't find some rabbitsen in Israel. Couldn't find the daughter of the chief rabbi of Shevet Dan or Naftali or God. He couldn't find a, a Betty Akov girl that got a hundred or every one of her tests. She was a real rabbitsen from a very young age. Why did he need to take some Hollywood movie star with her horrible background? The reason is it's all from a gem to teach the world that even if you are the dirtiest person, the most wicked one, if you work on yourself and repent, from the bottom of the bottom, you can reach the highest level, which is great because it gives us hope. Because we are not much better than her, if we're really being honest with ourselves, with today's generation. So it gives us hope, especially to a lot of the non-modest girls that make horrible scenes. And some of them already made abortions and who knows what else and went up with all kinds of goyim and merry goyim and have goyim, <laughs> you know, all kinds of horrible things. And all, all of a sudden, one day she listens to some good lectures about modesty and she becomes a kosher girl. You're not allowed to remind her her past. Same thing a girl, same thing a guy. Then we had another monster which was Nevuzardan. Mass murderer, murder more than 20 million people. And what happened? Became a tzaddik. He repented and became Jewish. Converted to Judaism. Imagine this. How can it be such thing? Imagine Eichmann or Hitler after the Holocaust. We come to the Bedin. We're sorry. Ah, we're so sorry, God. I don't know what happened to me. Why I killed so many Jews. Forgive me. I want to join the yeshiva. Do you have a kiruv yeshiva for me? Imagine Adolf come with the yarmulke and tzitzit with his mustache. By now he took off his mustache or made it a beard. And his friend Eichmann, they both came now, they learned Hevruta in Bnei Brak. Imagine this. The Jews will go crazy, especially the Holocaust survivors. They'll go crazy. Probably converting them would cause half a million Ashkenazi Jews to leave the religion. If that's the religion, if the Bedin accepted this monster after they killed my whole family, 
I don't want anything to do with this religion. Right or wrong? That's what happened in the time of Nebuzardan. Go check. It was nothing better than them. He murdered 20 million people. Slaughtered all the people in Yerushalayim. It's horrible. The, the, the Babylonian Empire. Killed holy people. What happened in the end? Converted. Why? So now there's no more doubt. Every person in the world can convert or can become a Baal Tshuva. If he's already a wicked Jew, can become a righteous Jew. If he's a wicked guy, can become a righteous guy or convert and become a righteous Jew. So now, you know, the, the, the first seven plagues, Paro still was able to repent. After that, Hashem said to Moshe, we're going now to Parashat Bo, it's different league now, different category. From now on, Paro will not listen to you anymore. It's his will is not in his hand anymore. I lacked his choice. Is lacked. The gate of repentance are automatically closed for Paro and his people. The question is, we know the Rambam in Milchot Shuvah, the Rambam is speaking about the will, free will of a person. The Rambam said there are verses in the Torah, verses in the Torah that looks like they're contradicting the free will of a person. I once explained in, uh, in my lecture, Free Will, in Hebrew and in English, I explained that there is really no such thing free will. There is a will, there is a choice, but there's no free choice. Do you know what's the difference between choice and free choice? I'll give you an example. If a free choice means, come work for me tomorrow, you get paid $200, work for morning to night. You don't come, nothing happened. You stayed in your bed. If you have $5,000 in your saving account, you would be left with $5,000. You lost $200 potential profit because you didn't come to work, but you didn't get punished. That's a free choice. But if I say to you, come tomorrow and work for me, you will make $200. If you don't show up, I penalize you $200. I take it out of your bank account. Penalty. When you wake up in the morning, with the first scenario that you have free choice, come make $200, don't come, nothing happen. You wake up in the morning, you're not in the mood, freezing, snowing, raining. Ah, the heck with the $200. Oh, going back to snow. What happened? Nothing. You stay with the same amount of money you have. Second scenario, you wake up in the morning, you wake up in the morning and you're thinking, should I wake up, get out of the warm bed and go make $200 with hard work? Ah, I'm not in the mood, freezing outside. Then you remember, wait a minute, but if I don't go, I lose $200. I better force myself to get out of bed. If you won't come, you still, can, you still have the choice not to get up. You're just going to pay the price. In the entire Torah, 
you will never find one case that God gave us free choice. No, nowhere. He always gave us a choice, but it was never free. Meaning, if you do what I told you, I will reward you. If you want, you will deal with the consequences and the punishments that the Torah talked about. There's no such thing. You do it nice, you don't do it, no hard feelings. There's no such thing. Let's read the words of the Rambam, with your permission. The source is Ilchot Shuvah, chapter 5 and chapter 6. Rambam, take, Rambam has six books. Aleph, Bet, Gimel, Dalet, Hei, Vav. Take the first one, Aleph, open chapter 5 and then chapter 6. Read all the halachot over there. Let me give you a little summary of it. The Rambam writes, the Rambam said, the principle of faith, principle of emunah, that every person has a choice to choose to do good or bad, it's 100% in your hand. A person chooses to be righteous and he can choose to be wicked. And the Rambam continue, do not dare to think what the fools of the Gentiles and the fools of the Jewish nation are claiming that Hashem decreed on a person in the moment he made him, created him, when he came to the world as a baby, that Hashem already ruled or decreed that you will be righteous or you will be wicked. Don't dare to think such thing. That's not correct. Every person can choose to follow the path of Moses or the path of Yerovam ben Navat, which was a very wicked, proud person. You can choose to be righteous like Moshe. You can choose to be wicked like Yerovam. It's 100% in your hand. The Rambam continue and he says, there are many verses in the Torah and in the, in the prophets that looks that they contradict this principle. It looks like some places that Hashem decided for you if you be good or bad. Let's see. And many people failing by misunderstanding these verses. Remember, this is the Rambam, the biggest posek in the last thousand years. They may come to the conclusion that Hashem made the decision for you if to do good or bad, God forbid. You should know that the art of a person is 100% in his control, what to do, good or bad. And we read in this parashot, the Rambam speaks about parashat Bo. As HaKadosh Baruch Hu brought on the Egyptian all these plagues. And it's written a few times that Hashem would heart, hearten the heart of Paro that he will not agree to send the Jewish nation to freedom. So you, you make the decision for, for Paro and then you punish him? Is it fair? You have to give him free freedom, no? As it's written, Paro will not listen to you. I will strike my hand on the Egyptians. I will hearten his heart and the heart of his servant that I will be able to make my magics among the land of Egypt. And God heartened the heart of Paro 
and he refused to send them free. Paro will not listen to you because I am going to perform a show for everyone to know that I am the God. And the chizakti left Paro, I will hold the heart of Paro and he will be forced to chase you. Meaning, I'm going to lead him to the trap that will bury all of them in the water, drown them. The impression that you may get from these verses is that Hashem took away the free will from these people and forced them to commit sins and later punish them for those sins. Is something like this logical? Will God come to Reuven and say, Reuven, be careful not to kill? And then he press a button because Reuven is a robot. And the, and the hand of Reuven goes up with a gun and he shoots someone and that person died. And then Hashem says, okay, Reuven, now we will stone you to death. That makes sense? Even foolish people like us will not do such thing. If you hold the hand of your young son and you smack with this the, <laughs> the head of your other son, you take your son, Reuven, you hold his hand, boom, you give Shimon a punch. Ruven, why did you punch your brother? Okay, now you're going to your room for two days. You're on lockdown. Quarantine. <laughs> if somebody will see you doing such thing, what will they say? This father is mental. He really, he really needs help, no? So what are you suggesting? That Hashem, God forbid, is worse than this father? That he's going to force the Egyptian to do something and then come and punch them and drown them? Obviously, it cannot make any sense. But how do you deal with these verses? I will hearten the heart of Paro. He is not going to let you go. He will not listen. The Rambam explains. The Rambam says, when there is an individual or people of a country or a city and they commit sins and they choose the sins that they want to do, to commit. And Hashem has to punish them for that sin. And Hashem knows how their punishment will take place and when. Sometimes there is a sin that a sinner committed and he will have to pay for it in this world. Sometimes he will pay for it with his body. Injuries, sickness, Sometimes he will pay with his wealth, money lost, damages, car accident, someone uh, vandalize your property, all kinds of things like this, right? Sometimes it will be a, a general punishment of the family, something that happens in a the family. There are scenes that the punishment will have to take place in the next world. This world, you won't get it yet, but it's waiting for you for the next world. And I, like I said, the punishments over there are much, much, much worse than what you see over here. It's possible that a person will commit a huge sin. It's so big. Or many small sins on a daily basis. Thousands of thousands of sins he commits every day. And he's already now 60 years old. And from Bar Mitzvah to now, 47 years of sins multiplied by thousands of sins every day. It's already over a billion sins. It's all in his file. And in that case, until Hashem, the judge, 
will decide to punish that person that he committed those sins by his own will until Hashem will lock, lock the gate of repentance in his face. That he won't be able from this moment on to repent. Meaning, you can be 50, you can be 40, you can be 60, you can be 70, you can be 90. Depend on how many sins you committed. Depend on how severe is your sins. Depend on how evil you are. It also depends on where you grew up. What kind of Jewish education you got. What's the results of your sins? It's a lot of things to analyze. There is a moment. I explained it many times in my lectures over the years. It's every person is born to the world with a tank. There is a tank. One person comes to the world with a very big tank. Thousand liter. One person has a smaller tank. 200 liter. Why? It's all depend on your past life, in your reincarnation. Your soul was in a previous life, in a different body. You died in a certain age with X amount of sins. Now Hashem wants to give you a limited chance to save and to fix your horrible sins from past life. But you don't have unlimited chances. That's why you have a small tank. This tank is holding the amount of sins. The more sins you do, the higher the level of the sins going higher and higher and higher. What will happen when the sins reach the top? You must die that moment. You cannot breathe one more second. However, before he gets to the top, he can also go down, not always up. For instance, Yom Kippur came, you came to the synagogue, you cry, you repent, you regret, you're ashamed of your sin, you beg God to give you another chance, you make some adjustments in your behaving. All these things, obviously, you know, if a person does such a thing, then the level of his sin going down, not, always, not only up. Or if a person gives a lot of charity, the charity brings some of the level down because tzedakah can, say, can redeem a debt. So if you're very close to the debt, you give a big amount of charity, that brings down the level and gives you extension of life. Because remember, you're already very close to reach the top. Or every day when we pray, we make a confession. Hashamnu, bagadnu, you regret your sins. That's a, part, that's a part of the tshuva. So the more a person does positive, the level will go down. The more he does negative, the level will go up. Once it reaches the top, it's over. Now, some people, as we see, they have a very big tank. They make sins, commit sins nonstop for eight years already. And they're still alive. And they don't go to Shul on Yom Kippur. And they don't give tzedakah. And they don't repent. And they make fun of the religion. And they do horrible things. And he's still alive. He's 80 already. And still alive. Sometimes a person is religious. He commits sins here and there. Two a day, five a day. Not like the other one. The other one has a billion sins already. And still alive. And the religious guy, age 35, boom. Accident and he died. Went to sleep and didn't get up. 
You may ask, where is the logic here? This wicked guy, 80 years old, commit millions of sins every year, and is still alive. This one is 35, generally righteous. Here and there he make mistake, and that's it. No chance. 35 is done. There is two reasons for it. One is depend on past life. How did you live the past life? In what level? But there is even a more serious reason for it. It's written in Parashat Vaitchanan, the last three verses, that people that God decided at one point of their life that they are finished, he moves them from the list of people that are being tested to the black list. Once he moved them to this list, they are finished. He already announced them that they lost their share to the world to come. They cannot go to heaven, ever. They finished. So what happened? They have some good deeds. They give charity. They have mezuzah at home. They make brit milah for their children. Once or twice in their life, maybe they made a bracha. Maybe they put filin here and there. Every secular Jew have some mitzvot that he, that he kept in his life. Enough that he has mezuzah, that's already a lot of mitzvot. Brit milah to his children, that's big mitzvot. He maybe answer amen for kiddush, maybe he made peace between two of his friends, maybe he made peace between husband and wife, a lot of different things that he could have actually did good in his life. As secular, as wicked as he is, he has some good things that he committed, some good deeds. Therefore, because he already lost the next world, which is eternal pleasure in the afterlife, God has to pay him in this life for the few good things that he did. So he gives him wealth and success and control and big businesses and he's a politician or he's a big, some kind of a lawyer or some judge that rules the life of people or a president or a prime minister or an athlete, a famous movie star, just a billionaire, all kinds of things like that. Pays him based on his will and based on his wishes. He wished to be such and such, rich, famous, all kinds of things. He pays him with what he likes, to get rid of him. Where does it say it? In the Torah. Open Parashat Vaitchanan, the last three verses. Verses, I am the zealous God who pay my lovers that keep my commandments for thousands of generations. Meaning I hold the reward for later on. And pay the wicked cash to their face to get rid of them. I will not delay the reward. I will pay the wicked directly to their face to get rid of them. Rashi writes over there, pays him for the few good deeds that he did in this life in order for Hashem to get rid of him for the eternal life. So next time, when you see a liberal Jew, pro-gay, pro-gay marriage, pro-abortion, pro-democrat, anti-Israel, pro-Islam, pro-Iran, pro-horrible things that the Democrats support, and he is some kind of a diplomat or ambassador or minister like the government of Joe Biden. Half of them are Jews. But what kind of Jews? 
the most wicked Jews in the whole universe, gathered into one. One of them is a man who became a woman. Another one of them is a gay that not only is a gay, is proud of it that he brought to the inauguration his husband and put him on a stage and made the biggest Chilul Hashem in the history. I want to thank my husband. He's right here behind me. Why the whole world has to see that you're mentally sick? Why are you embarrassing the chosen people in the world? Who do you think care about your husband? No, it's to make a point. I, I will decide whatever I want, despite God, despite the religion. Instead of being light to the nation, we will become the biggest darkness to the world. Until the Arabs, the Hamas murderer terrorists, are sitting in their home in Gaza, and rolling on the floor laughing at the stupid Jews that everywhere you go, you see them everywhere with their mental disease, with their education. They're all very educated, but they don't have one gram of brain inside their head. Not only they are the biggest criminals, they're proud of it. Those are the people that will decide in the next four years what's going to happen in the world. They're already already will force us to put abomination into the yeshivot. If not, they're going to cut the budget. They will approve men and men marrying. Soon you're going to hear much worse things than that. Don't be surprised. Remember, mark my words. It's between now and the next election. They will not make legally marriage between people and animals. Legally. They will be in the United States soon. Just wait and see. Because there is no end to their stupidity and to their wicked way. Those are the government of this Biden. The previous government of Trump were almost all goyim. Every one of them was a goy, but smart goyim. Goyim that respect God. Goyim that are not pro-abortion. Goyim that are not pro-gay marriage. Goyim that are pro-Israel. Goyim that understand Jerusalem belongs to the Jews. Goyim that understand the Jews are the chosen people. Goyim that understand that Iran is a danger to the whole world and they're going to kill hundreds of millions of people. This kind of Goyim. Now you tell me, what's better? To be a non-Jew with a clever head that understands what's right and what's wrong? Or to be a very educated Jew that everything he does and say makes God furious? What's better? You tell me. What's better, to be a righteous Gentile or to be a very wicked, dirty Jew? What's better? I think the answer is clear here. You understand? So righteousness has nothing to do with the fact that you're Jewish or non-Jewish. It's depend on the individual. You can be a non-Jew and very righteous and God loves you very much because you respect his decisions and what the Torah say. Nobody asks you to keep Shabbat. You're not a Jew. Nobody asks you to eat kosher. You're not a Jew. Nobody asks you to do things that the religious Jew has to do. But the fact that you admire Torah, the fact that you admire the religion, the fact that you have values, the fact that you care about family values, that's already better than all these dirty people who are worse than the people of Sodom. That's really the sad truth. And because of these people, it will bring a disaster on all of us. Why us? 
We are not uh, poor the dirt that they promote. We are not interested in what they do. We are very much suffering to see what kind of clowns will control us in the next four years or eight. Why do we have to be punished? We are already being punished. Every day when we see their lousy faces. The answer is because we don't protest. It could have been 80 million Americans, Jews and non-Jews, rioting on the street, not violence. Meaning, big demonstration, standing in the main center everywhere and screaming, we are fighting the war of, of God. We won't let the sodomized people control us. We are against it. We protest the gay parade. We protest the evilness. We protest supporting terrorism. We protest the corruption. We protest people change their identity because they are mentally sick. We are not interested in this kind of leaders. One week, two, three, four, ten, they would will, they will step down. We protest against the wicked Facebook and Twitter and the rest of the liberal lefties that destroyed the world in the last 20 years. We don't want anything to do with them. We want to get ourselves out of this horrible social media. We don't want any connection to these wicked people. That's why I'm pushing my app developer that very soon we will make all the lectures live broadcast only through my app. Not through Facebook and not through YouTube and none of those garbage. Not to give them any merit. Why should they participate in spreading Torah? Anyway, they're very much against the Torah. Every time we speak against abomination, we get a warning. You're going against YouTube regulation. You are going against Facebook's regulation. Trump said something, they blocked his mouth. The president of Iran, his page is free. He's calling for genocide, for killing all Americans, for killing Israel, for wiping out Israel. He has a page. He can talk. He is free to say whatever he wants. The president of this country, they blocked his mouth. Why? Because they're all very wicked. Everything that someone will do that comply with the laws of God, they are allergic to it. And everything someone will do that is against God, they run. Not only to endorse it and to publish it, they will also give money from their own pocket to sponsor it. Call them, call Zuckerberg and tell him, I want to make a gay parade for 10 million people in New York. I need sponsors. Give you a $50 million donation. Tell him, I would like to promote the words of God to the whole world. Would you give me donation? It's against Facebook regulation. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. It is what it is, Rabotai. So, we move on. The Rambam continue. The Rambam says, there is sometimes... Uh, there, there are verses in the Tanakh, like in Yeshayahu Vav, verse 10, Isaiah 6, verse 10. This is what it says. Hashmen Make the heart of this nation, the Jewish nation, fat. You know what, what happens when you become fat? All day you're busy eating, you don't have time for God. Your head is in a pizza, in a sushi, in a steaks, in a whiskey. You have time for Hashem? Ah, come on. So, Ashmen Leva Amazeh, make them chubby, juicy. Wow, this is an expression, metaphoric. Veoznav Achbed, make their ears deaf. 
and ve'enav, and make the eyes blind. Penire, ve'enav, that he cannot see. Ube'oznav ishma, he cannot hear. Ulevavoyavin, he won't understand anything, meaning the Jewish nation. Veshaverafalo, that he will be able to repent and get cured. This is what Hashem said to the prophet. This was 2,600 years ago. I'm going to make this nation blocked. They are wicked. They're going to rebel against me. They will be ungrateful to me. They will disrespect my rules. They will replace me with all the garbage out there. I will bring them to a situation, to some of them, of course, that they will be deaf and blind and blocked. They cannot tell the difference between good and bad to the point that even if they would want to repent, I will never let them repent that they should never get cured from their end, what's waiting for them. It's a clear verse in the Tanakh. This is one proof where the Rambam brought what he wrote in Ilchot Shuva. I'll give you another one. It's written in Divrei Ayamim. How do you say Divrei Ayamim in English? End of days. End of days to chapter 36, verse 16. That's the source. You can go and open the Tanakh and read it. Vayu mal'ivim b'malachei ha'elokim. They disrespect the angels of God. Uvozim dvarav. Disrespect the divine words of Hashem. Umeta'ateim b'neviyav. They're playing games with his prophets. Not only they don't listen to the prophets, they attack them. Right? Ad alot chamat Hashem be'amo. Until the anger of God will rise against his own nation. Who is his nation? The nation of Israel. Ad le'en marpe. It can reach a level that from now on, there's no cure. You must pay for what you did. No more repentance. I'm very much afraid that we reach that level this year. Very much afraid. Very much afraid. Because a lot of people cry. A lot of people are poor now in Israel. One million people became unemployed. People are starving for pieces of bread. All the synagogues are closed. Almost all the yeshivot are closed. Riots on the street. 700 people committed suicide. Israel is in 200 billion shekel deficit. 72 years of profit in high-techs and all kinds of invention was wiped, wiped out completely. And on top of all of that, we got this sleepy Joe and this horrible, wicked government. And Iran will take over. And Hezbollah and Hamas. And there is no, almost no light. No matter where you look, there's no light. No light in America. No light in Israel. The Jewish nation is doomed. The question is, what can make God give us one final chance? If we didn't, if we didn't miss the train. If we miss the train, we're going to know it very soon. We're going to see what happens to us, and there's nothing we can do about it. As it's written in Parashat Bechukotai, Ve'efkati Alechem Be'ala. I will make you panic, live in panic. Everyone will go crazy. Problems that you have in the morning before you digest it, you already have no problems in the afternoon and the evening. 
והיית משוגע ממראה עיניך. You become literally crazy from the things you will see every day. Horrible, השם ירחם. Why? Because you did not listen to me, you did not follow my rules, you were ungrateful to me, etc., etc. So, the cure that the Torah talks about, the Divrei Ayamim, the end of days, is, I'm gonna, it's gonna, my anger will reach such a level, Ad le'en marpeh. I'll give you another example. It's written that someone who disrespects a Talmid Chacham, he have a rabbi, he knows a lot of Torah, a decent person, keep mitzvot, and you disrespected him in public, in internet, online, you know, online you wrote. Somebody like that lost his share to the world to come. That's it, it's finished. But not only that, he's gonna suffer in his health, he's expected to have horrible health issues, and as, as horrible it's gonna get also pain, meaning injuries, to the point that there's no cure for his pain. It's written, someone that mevazet al mit chacham en refua lemakato. There is no cure to the strike that Hashem will give such a person. Now you understand maybe why so many people are everywhere you go, they lost basically everything. Look at Manhattan. You know someone told me yesterday, last night there was Sheva Brachot in Mansi. I have a friend, he's in real estate. He told me until now I was working in Newark. Newark, there's minorities over there, real estate there was cheap. You buy, you renovate, you sell, you make 15%, 20% profit. Now I'm gonna go into Manhattan. I say why? He say a building in Harlem that was the price of it a year ago was $22 million was suggested to me for $4 million. $4 million. I told him wait another six months it will be Seven hundred thousand. Like he said, just just come pay the tax on the on the building and take it. That's how it was in the eighties. You're right. You're right. I know you worry about the suffering we're going to have, but don't worry. Even the suffering, it's a good news. You know why? I'll tell you why. Let's face it. Us. People that work with this on their head. How much it costs? $4? $5? Every one of us, Baruch Hashem, has $5 on his head. Beard is for free. So, okay. So, so you walk on the street. You walk on the street. And every one of us thinking, I am for sure in a 20% that will get saved when the Mashiach come. I wouldn't be sure. I wouldn't be sure at all. First of all, how many of us can raise their hand and say that they did the maximum they can to do Kiruv and save the souls of 80% of the lost Jewish people all over the world? 12 million wicked Jews who are not Shomer Shabbat, atheists, liberal, gays, all kinds of things, corrupted, all kinds of atheists people who disrespect God, 
people who can care less in the Torah, people that are all kinds of reporters and make the mind of millions of people corrupted against the righteousness of the Torah. How many of us can say that we did the maximum we can and we really, really care so bad that our heart is burning when we see so many wicked, foolish Jews with all kinds of college degrees that are the dumbest people in the world and destroying the whole world. How many of us are broken-hearted from seeing 12 million wicked of us and children that grow up in New York and in Israel who don't even know how to say Shema Israel Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad. Who can raise his hand over here, right here, and say, I give my entire heart and thoughts and devotion and money to help to save souls? The answer is, now one of you can raise his hand. Now one. And you are the good ones. Imagine the bad ones. You understand? Maybe you are not doing anything to save souls, but for sure you're not voluntarily running to destroy souls. What about the other one? All they do is destroy souls, non-stop. Non-stop in their social media pages, the things they publish, the things that they talk to their own children, the public schools that they put their own children in it, the universities that they dare to send their children over there that they will make them horrible, corrupted ideology. Sodom and Gomorrah, every university in the world. Avram, he's sleeping. Benji, you have to be on alert. 9.35. Remember, 9.40. Tov, so obviously understand that we're very far from being perfect. Also, how many of us has faith? Do we understand that everything that happens to us is the hand of Hashem and is punishing us for the way we've been in the last 20, 30, 40 years? Or we still think it's nature? Most of us think it's nature. Put the mask. Cover your nose. Very nice that you're so worried about life. Very much that you scream about people if they come to the shul without a mask. You have to do it. The Torah says you have to do everything you can not to get hurt. You have to watch your health. But how come now one time in your synagogue you scream to your congregation, all of you coming to shul with a car. You're playing with fire. You're going to be dead for eternity for that. Nobody. How come? For the mask is willing to fight with all his congregation. Even the rich one who support the building. Yes, but with people that are making the worst sins, committing the worst crimes against God, sitting in his synagogue every day. Not a word. This guy is Malveberibit. This guy's Michalel Shabbat. This guy lives with another man in his house, gay, and he gives him aliyah. We accept everyone here. We accept everyone here. Next thing, a Hamas terrorist would come. Maybe you give him aliyah also. We accept everyone. If we're so liberal, we might as well. You understand? That's reality, Rabotai. So I won't be so sure that we are safe. How do we get safe? 
I get saved, you have to do the maximum you can. If you do the maximum you can, then you have nothing to worry about. Everything, learning Torah, honesty, emunah, watching the mouth, watching the eyes, watching your ears, devotion in tefillah, begging to Hashem, crying, getting burned when you see all the wicked people around, be zealous to the truth of the Torah, spreading kiruv everywhere, sharing lectures. Such selfishness, such selfishness. I spoke on the radio in Israel uh, two weeks ago, 41,000 people were online live. Not even 500 of them shared. How much is that in percentage? Nothing. And this is after I started the broadcast with a five minutes explanation, how much you gain by sharing. Selfishness. Number one, ungratefulness. I give you an example. If a doctor saved your life, you were already finished, your brain stopped to work, you needed a specialist to do an open brain surgery, connect there whatever got disconnected and save your life. And a doctor came specially and he saved your brain and brought you back to normal life. You were 20 years old, thanks to that doctor you live to 90. He gave you 70 years of life. If someone will speak against this doctor 30 years later, 30 years later, you were 20 in the time of the surgery, you're 50 now. Someone speak against this doctor. What would you do? You're ready to choke him to death. Close your mouth, I don't know, I'll throw you out of the window. Well, what do you care? Don't talk about him. You get very offended, right? You owe him your life. That's the minimum gratitude. I'm not asking you to give him now every year a million dollar gift, which you should have done. But the minimum, if somebody dirty, you know, uh, spread dirt about him, you would run to defend him, no? What would happen if you hear that, I don't know, a year later he had a big problem and he needed volunteers to come help him? You would run to help, no? How, how can I ignore him? He saved my life, this one. So now... You go on a show, there is a speaker who took you from being a secular, lousy, wicked person with no share to the world to come, show you the truth, taught you about God, taught you that the Torah is divine, show you the purpose of life, brought you from level zero to level 80 in two, three, five years. There is needless, it's needless to say that you owe him a billion times more than you owe to that doctor. Because that doctor saved your body. And we're all going to die. We're not going to live in this world forever. But the soul is eternal. So if someone brought your soul from losing the share to the world to come, meaning losing eternity, into gaining eternity, you owe him more than words can ever describe. If I'm going to write now a letter, how much gratitude you owe to such a person, we will speak a billion years and we won't finish to describe how much you owe him. So what is he asking from you? Not money, not recognition, not to put signs anywhere, not to tell the story, not, nothing. What? Click a button, share the lecture with another 300 of your people on the page. That's all. How much it cost you? Tak, tak, tak. It went. 
Three more hundred people got it, 50 of them watched it, another five became religious. From the 300, what did you lose? First of all, you gain now billions of mitzvot from these five because every mitzvah they're gonna do goes to your account and their children. But if you don't do it, how can you call yourself religious? You are the most ungrateful person in the world. Someone that helps you elevate you spiritually. I told you once, Rav Shach, 60 years, used to go to a funeral, to a cemetery in Israel. One time he called his assistant, Shaik, Rav Shaik, pouring rain, pouring rain, storm, he can't hold the umbrella. He was in his 90s. A person in his 90s is very hard to walk, especially in such a day with winds. He said to him, wait for me here. Pouring rain. He said to him, Rabbi, it's not, uh, it's not, uh, you can't go like this. You have to, we have to come. No, no, today it's there. I have to go to read Tehillim here. He wanted to see what he's doing. He went to a grave of a woman and was holding the Tehillim in a pouring wind and rain and was reading for maybe 20, 30 minutes Tehillim for this woman over there in her yard side. When he came back all sopping wet to the car in his 90s, the leader of the entire Orthodox community in the whole world, he left Ponovich Yeshiva in the middle of the day every year to go to that grave to read Tehillim. He asked him, Rabbi, what's this? who's this person? He said, when I was a teenager in Europe, I only had one dress shirt, white, that's it. We were so poor. <laughs> I couldn't afford more than a shirt. And every once in a while I needed to do laundry. There's no laundry machines. Where would you do laundry? You have to go to the lake. Put the sh take the shirt off, stay with no shirt, and start rubbing the shirt until the dirt from the color will go off. And then you have to put it to dry. So you're stuck because you cannot walk in the street without a shirt. You're a religious person. So you're stuck there for hours, six, seven hours until it will dry. So you have to hide in a place and learn Gemara without a shirt because you have to wait until the shirt will dry. And one time this woman passed by and she caught me like this with Gemara with no shirt. It was freezing also, windy. So she asked me, young man, why are you like this here without a shirt? I said, here is my shirt. I'm waiting for it to dry. She said, why? So I came to do laundry. You don't have another shirt to replace? I said, no. She said, I have, I have a shirt for you. I'll go get it. She went home. She came back. She gave him an extra dress shirt. Sixty years later, every year he used to go retail him in her grave. That's ungratefulness. That's gratefulness, sorry. That's gratefulness. And if you wouldn't do it, you are an ungrateful person. Now this woman, she saved his soul? No. She saved his life? No. She did a nice favor to him. Very impressive. She went, she got him a shirt. But it's not a life-changing favor. If somebody saved your soul, you're going and stabbing in the back? Forget about this kind of people that have the nerve to also talk negative. I'm not talking about this kind of reshaim. I'm talking those who has shalom, they're not going to say something bad. But they're just either lazy or they're selfish, that they refuse to share. 
If everyone would share, instead of 30, 40,000 people in a YouTube page, we should have had 400,000 people. If everyone would press on every, every lecture and go to all these people, more and more people will join. Same thing in the app. You don't share the app, you have an option to share, but people don't share. You can share the lecture from the app. But that's the bottom line, Rabotai. These are the things that Hashem will hold us guilty of. You kept Shabbat, yes. You ate kosher, yes. You believed in me, yes. But how you define your devotion to me? What did you do to save my lost children? Nothing. Did not give donations. How many times we spoke over the years here to subscribe to do monthly donations? Everyone according to what he can afford. $50, $100, $300, everyone can afford. For master money, you must give 10% of your net income. You're not doing anyone a favor, it's not your money. How many people join per month? Maximum one, sometimes two. That's it. From thousands of thousands of views every day. It's the biggest joke in the history. You, have, you can have sometimes a million views in a week. A million views in a week. It's four or five million in a month. One or two donors join. Hard to believe such thing. If you don't have, you go to rich people and make them donate. I told him once. So what can, if someone is poor, he cannot donate even $18 a month. What can he do? Tell his uncle, do me a favor. Baruch Hashem, Hashem bless you with money. Give you $100 a month to save souls. Give. There's one kid. Kid. I don't think he's even 20 years old. I'll find out tomorrow when he comes to Brooklyn. He said, I want to give 100 USBs. USB is so powerful with so many great lectures. Everyone who gets it becomes religious. How much would it be? I told him instead of $20 a USB, 10, 50% off. He, he said, I don't have the money, but I'm going to call all my friends. He's raising 20, 50, 100, keep sending with a quick pay. Another 50, another 100. Slowly, slowly, to be able to get the 100 tomorrow, they should give them out to people. A, a child. You can see from the way he talks that he's a teenager. Why is it? Some people listen and they actually practice what they listen. Most people, it's like a heart over of a stone. Whatever they hear, it comes from here, goes out from there. I don't know, I don't know what, how to describe such things. Remember I brought him to the lecture in Brooklyn a year ago? He's taking care of children in risk in Israel. Israeli rabbi spoke in English in, in Brooklyn. Rav, Rav Kram is famous. This is what he says. He says, Paro and the Egyptian and the, uh, the rest of the idol worshippers, what's the story over here? It says like this. We did not see or hear is the, the rest of the words of the Rambam. Meaning, Be'inyan ze sho'alim ha-tzadikim va-nevi'im betfilatam me'et Hashem. One of the things you have to do, the Rambam says, every day I have to pray to Hashem to give you the merit to see the truth. Don't take it for granted. When it comes to the truth in math, you don't need any merit. You can be the most wicked Nazi and you can be a great mathematician. When you want to see the truth about history, you can be the, the filthiest person in the world and great historian. 
geometry, science, physics, medicine, can be a very corrupted, wicked person and be a great doctor, and be a great physician, be a great uh, scientist. To see this kind of truth, you don't need any special merit. You go to university, you learn, you practice, you memorize the material, you pass the test, you learn how to be a doctor when you're in stage, and you become a great surgeon. No big deal. However, to see the divine truth, even if you're the smartest, most genius mathematician in the world, you can be fully blind. You can't see it. That's why a lot of these mathematicians, if they're going to see a Bachur Yeshiva, Tzadik, genius in Gemara, and a gay who walks with purple hair and earring over ear and full of tattoos and a drug addict, and you ask him, who would you prefer to be your guest in a weekend? What would they say? This hippie. Yes. Why? They can't see the difference between good and bad. Therefore, don't take it for granted. Rule number one, you have to eat strictly kosher. If you eat non-kosher, it's very difficult to see the divine spiritual truth. Your whole blood is contaminated. Your soul is receiving contaminated blood. The Torah says, if you eat non-kosher, Rashi writes, Al-Tikra Nitmetem, Nitamtem. You become Metumtam. Metumtam means dumb. But not dumb in a literal way. Dumb in a spiritual way. To the point that Professor Miller, top cardiologist in Israel, 25 years ago in an interview in a newspaper, the reporter asked him, you speak very angrily, angry about your son that became Baal Tshuva. He had a son, these lefty doctors, that became religious, went to yeshiva. It seems to me, the reporter, which is also a lefty, the reporter said to him, it seems to me that you would rather that your son will be an heroin addict than to be a religious Jew. Do you know what the answer is full? Absolutely. What's the question? He would rather his son would be a junkie on the street injecting needles in his eyes because there's no more veins left in his body. Going like this in a, in a gas station, can he spare some change without his teeth? He rather his son will be like this than a religious Talmud Chacham that knows Gemara and speak and is ethical. But he's a, brain, he's a cardiologist. But at that time, one, one of the head doctors in Israel. It's not easy to become a doctor in Israel. You know Israelis are the best doctors in the world. Everybody knows it. The best doctors in America are Israelis. They leave Israel and they come here. Who are the doctors in Israel? Arabs. Almost all the doctors are Arabs. The Arabs do not want to leave Israel. They want to live with their family in a village. But the Jews, they want to make over a million dollars a year. They don't want to make $25,000 a year, a doctor's salary, 2000 a month. So they come to America. A lot of gynecologists, cardiologists, a lot of Israelis, top, and a lot of scientists also. They work for the biggest companies in the world. Why? Big money in America. In Israel, it's social medicine. Like Israel, Canada, can't become rich being a doctor in countries like this. It's social medicine. You can be a great doctor. Why should I stay in Israel? Let me go to America. A few years. 
I will return. Usually they don't return. So the best doctors can be the dumbest people when it comes to spirituality. Why? Look at the government of Biden. They're all very educated people. Diplomats, degrees, wrote books, intellectuals. Look what they're promoting. Look what they promote. Look how their children look. Look how, what's going on in, in their families. Why? Because this is what the Torah said. The Rambam said, you have to first of all pray to Hashem every day. Please show me the truth. Direct me to the right speakers. Direct me to the right rabbis. Direct me to the right books. Direct me to the right yeshiva. Direct me to the right synagogue. Direct me to the right shiduch. Why? I would marry a liberal lefty girls that, that like Bernie Sanders. How my life would look with such a woman? How? What kind of children I'm going to have with such a woman? A feminist. <laughs> Direct me to a kosher girl, modest, a shetchail with a healthy head. Not a, a woman that thinks she knows better than God. I'm vegetarian. <laughs> Why are you vegetarian? Because the animals are suffering so much. It's brutal. So you're more merciful than God? God told us how to slaughter the animal and check the knife to make sure the knife is smooth and to do it quickly that the animal will not suffer. And it's mitzvah to eat meat on Yom Tov and on Shabbat. And he told us how to do it. And there's laws that we receive in Mount Sinai in the Torah, which animals can be slaughtered and which animals cannot be slaughtered and how to do it and how to, to do it in such a way. And if you have animals in your backyard, you have to feed them before you feed yourself and your own children. All these divine laws are in the Torah. And this girl from uh, Yale University, you know, they brainwash her from age zero. It's very cruel to eat cows and sheep. So, so basically, what she's saying is, I know better than the creator of the world what's cruel and what's not. That's fake humanity. The same people that talks like that are fighting for Hamas terrorists to have human rights. Not for the victims. No, no, not for the victims. For the babies that they slaughter, they don't care. They fight for those terrorists. Same activists, animal activists, they fight against death penalty in Texas. Someone who shot few cops and blow their head up. They have mercy on these monsters. They want them to sit in jail and watch television while the victims are suffering for life. That's what happened without Torah. You have mercy on the cruel, and you are cruel to the righteous. Look at the Israeli police. When they come to Tel Aviv, everyone sits in a park, no mask. You can see the video. They all, how are you? And, uh, nothing. No tickets, no riots, no arrests, nothing. They go to Bnei Brak, where all the Bnei Torah, they take their baseball bat. Boom, boom, they break their heads. They're all like Nazis. Soon as they see religious people, the monster comes out of them. They go to the Arab villages. 
5,000 Arabs pray in a mosque. They stand over there, nothing. Nobody has mask, nothing. 5,000, Allah Akbar, they don't do anything. They come to the yeshiva, 20, 30 teenagers learn Gemara, they get inside, get up, boom, they throw them inside the truck, arrest them, break their heads. Every hour. Why is it? How they become such monsters? They taref, all they brainwash in the liberal media. That's how you become a monster. That's why I say there's not going to be another Republican government in America. It's over. Why? Very simple. They're bringing now millions of immigrants. They're all going to become uh, Democrats. Today they announced that everyone who lives in America for five years will be able to become legal. Huh? Legal voter. Not only that, he's going to be able to get a green card. All he has to do is to pay five years taxes. <laughs> Whatever, even $50 a year. As long as you show that you, are not, you have no criminal record and you lived in America illegally, you become legal. How many people like this you have? Tens of millions. They all will become Democrats. Obviously, right? Who made them legal? The Democrats. They know what they do. They buy votes. Same thing, a lot of dead people voted for them in the last election. Now a lot of immigrants, Spanish and Arabs, will vote for them. There's millions of uh, Muslims and millions of Spanish, Mexican, all kinds that are illegal over here. They're all going to become Democrat. Very good. Plus, they brainwash all the children in elementary school and in university. They brainwash them. If you're not a lefty, you are a monster. Even if someone is Trump supporter, if he will open up his mouth in the university, he's finished. Nobody wants to talk to him. If you're in elementary school and you say, I'm a Republican, you're done. Ugh, you're vile. You're arrogant. We don't want anything to do with you. You're not one of us. That's all the teacher. The whole sister, such propaganda that all the new generation in America, all the 13, 14, 15 years old, once they become 18 and they can vote, they're all going to be Democrats. That's it. Even if your father is a righty, a supporter of Trump, supporter of Israel, anti-Iran, doesn't matter. The children in the house are all lefty. They make fun of the dead. Ah, my dad is primitive. He's, pre he's old-fashioned. Don't pay attention. That's what they do. It's over, Rabotai. I know you have hopes. Maybe we'll suffer for years. Things will be better. They won't. Now... The only good thing that we have left is to do tshuva. If we die, at least we go to heaven. We won't miss this world. Second, at least now we will appreciate the little we have. We took it for granted. We took it for granted. Now at least we'll appreciate it. Third, we will learn not to be ungrateful. We will have. Four, we will have to be much more devoted. Maybe we'll have to run to Israel soon. Who knows what's going to happen? We don't know. Not that in Israel compared to here is much better. Again, same, same things is happening. In Israel, maybe if you lock yourself in yeshiva, maybe nobody will bother you. But if you have to mix with all the people in Tel Aviv and this, I don't know. We must need Mashiach now more than ever before. If not, I don't know who is he going to come for, if he's going to continue to wait. So we have to beg 
we have to beg Hashem to help us to see the truth. You don't take it for granted. And that's what David HaMelech begged Hashem. He begged Hashem, Oreni Hashem drachecha. Please God, show me your ways. Don't make me be fake religion. Religious. I don't want to be a fake one. Don't make me become conservative without realizing. Don't make me become modern orthodox with rotten ideology. Don't make me send my children to the wrong yeshivot. Don't make me read horrible books or all kinds of kofrim. Don't make me exposed to the religious filthy magazines that people bring into the house every Shabbat and destroy their mind and their children. Don't save me from all this risk. There's so much risk in the world, you have no idea. No, Rabbi, it's religious. Don't be fanatic. Religious? They put Dennis Prager in a religious magazine, a reform, that, that, that admit that he doesn't believe in the oral Torah. Huh? person that says, I'm not, I'm not religious, I'm not Shomer Shabbat, and I don't believe in the Torah. A religious magazine will put somebody like this there? No, but he's, he's talking politically correct. We have a lot of people who knows how to speak about politics. <laughs> Some of them are, happen to be religious. They you know. Why don't you bring them? Why do you have to bring someone that will be a horrible influence on Jews? Why do you have to bring all these clowns out there that you know they are worse than reform? Why? Because when you bring a reform person, everyone knows not to take him serious. What do you expect from him? But when you bring someone who speaks pro-Israel and everybody stand and clap in a, in a gala or some kind of fundraising, they bring this Rishayim, this Kofrim, and right away they gain a lot of popularity. Like the guy in Florida, he wanted to bring a big, famous Christian missionary as a motivational speaker. We don't have enough Jews that knows how to motivate people? That you need to bring a Christian missionary, admirer of JC? Where is your head? That's what's going on today. There's no wonder that the Gemara say very few will make it to heaven. Very few. Everybody think, I have a beard, I have a yamaka, I have tzitzit, I learned afyomi. Let's check your ideology. You're going to get probably zero out of a hundred. That's going to be your mark. In your rotten opinions. Especially Americans and Europeans. In Israel, it also gets very bad. It's not as bad as here yet. Probably another few years, it will be just as bad. Unfortunately, everywhere it's collapsing. But in Israel, you still have, Baruch Hashem, rabbis. I heard today Rav Moshe Tzadka, Rosh Yeshivat Porat Yosef. Powerful speech, 100%. Like the right Ashkafa of the Gemara. Baruch Hashem, we still have some kosher leaders. What's going to happen in the next generation? They're all in their 80s, 90s, 100. When this generation will go away, what kind of rabbis are we going to have left? What? They'll learn the Torah in university? 
Huh? Next to the gay club over there? This kind of, that this is who you want to be, the spiritual leader? Ay, 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 ay. Time, time is finished. Last thing for today. In the grasshoppers, Paro is kicking Moshe and Aaron, as it's written, Vaigaresh otam me'et p'nei Paro. Kick them out. And in darkness, Makat Choshech, the ninth plague, he actually threatened them that he will murder them. Until now, he spoke to Moshe and Aaron relatively with some respect. Now, he said to them, if you dare to show your face near me one more time, I will kill you. As it's written, Al tosef raot panai, ki biyom raotcha panai tamut. If I will have to face you one more time, you will, be get, you will get killed. Why Paro got all of a sudden so brave? The more punches Hashem gave him, he should have lost more confidence, no? How all of a sudden, in the ninth plague, he became such a big shot? Did you ever see when they slaughter a cow, how the cow reacts? After they pass the big knife, shh, river of blood is flying out from the neck. Maybe five gallons of blood, something like that. Right away, in one shot. Very scary. But after it happens, the cow is still making a lot of movements. Boom, bam, boom, the head, the legs. That second already, the cow is dead. From the first second, it goes like this. No more feelings. The cow did not even feel one second of pain. Immediately they cut the air and the arteries and the front in less than a second. It's over. Smooth knife. The cow doesn't feel. No pain. So how the cow is moving? The brain sent already pulses to the nerve system before the slaughtering. How is it? It's very similar to internet. When you have Wi-Fi in a house... Sometimes the Wi-Fi falls, right? There's no Wi-Fi, but you still watch the movie another minute. How do you watch? The Wi-Fi stopped a minute ago. This was sent already before the Wi-Fi stopped. It was sent already. It continued to activate the movie. Why? Because it was sent, the signal was sent already before. In a minute it will stop. That's exactly what happens to the cow. After you slaughter the cow, there's all kinds of reflex. Not only that, when they slaughtered the chicken, one time they took off the head and the chicken walked a few more steps without a head. How can you walk without a head? No brain connected to the body. The answer is the brain already sent the, 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 the pulse, the order to move the legs before the head was removed. So three more steps the chicken will do and then will fall. So this movement, if someone is ignorant, he will think, look at the cow. The cow is, uh, is rebelling. Until now, the cow was a coward. 
look at the cow, it's rebelling. But a smart person will say, no, you fool. The cow is finished. Same thing Paro. Paro is already finished. But now he's putting a show. Why? Because before Hashem destroyed the person, he brings him higher. Remember what I told you in the beginning of the lecture? Before Hashem, why Hashem lift the wicked very high before he crushed them to the ground? If you fall from a third stair to the floor, nothing happens. You don't even break anything. You get up. But if you fall from the 10th floor, boom, you crash to 100 pieces. If you fall from 100 floors, nothing is left from you. The higher you are, the more painful is the crash. That's why Hashem brings the wicked people to, have in, to be in control. And boom, now they find themselves in a court of heaven facing thousands of years in Auschwitz. If there were some homeless in a park, everybody spits at them and fight with them, they look in the garbage what to eat, their life was hell already here, and you take him from here to Auschwitz. No, my life was Auschwitz already here. It's not such a, a downgrade. But if I am the president of United States, and I give people order, and everyone begged me and bowed down to me, Sleepy Joe, how are you today? Good morning, Mr. President. In a minute, I take you right away to the worst place in hell. Imagine the pain. That's the secret behind it. Next time when you see Mechalelei Shabbat and all kinds of Machtiya Rabim and corrupted, wicked people enjoying the world and telling you what to do, don't eat your heart. Soon they will get what they deserve. Just need some patience for it. If Reuven ask a favor from Shimon and he refuse and he throw him away, get out of here! I don't want to see your face. You dare to ask me for a favor? Get out of my house. Very humiliating. Imagine after he threw him out, he got elected to be the mayor. And now you need to get an approval for him for your building that you built. You need a permit. When will it be more difficult to go ask him for a favor? Before you embarrassed him in public and you threw him out? Or after, if you never embarrass him, you come to his office, you beg, can you help me out, you're the mayor, I need a permit, I need to build a building. He may agree and may not agree. After you abused him and insulted him and threw him out of your office, now you have to go and beg him to give you the approval. I don't have to tell you how much more you're going to suffer from the shame. That's exactly what Hashem did to Paro. Before the final plague, Makat Choshech, he made him a hero. He made his heart even more stubborn. Throw Moshe away. Get out of here. If you, if you dare to come one more time, I'll kill you. Another few weeks, he ran on the street. Where is Moshe? Where, where? Children, where is Moshe? Midnight with his pyjama. That's what happened. And the kids were making fun at him. Over there. No, 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 over there. <laughs> where, where? Make up your mind. And he come and beg, please get out of Egypt. 
Take everything and leave. Oh, you just told me if I come one more time, you'll kill me. Forget about it, I'm sorry. Please, please, go quickly. That's called v'italalti. I will make fun. Shem could have killed them in one shot and that's it. No. Let me play with them. Let me tease them a little bit. Paro, look, you're in charge. You still give orders. You can throw Moshe. Moshe is begging you. It comes and goes. Blood. Blood goes. Frogs. They go away. Hail. Goes away. What happened in the end? What happened in the end, Rabotai? What happened in the end is that the more Hashem played with him, the more painful it was. Chazal explained, which organ, internal organ, is the heaviest in the body? Liver. Liver has liters of blood soaked into it. If you take a liver out because it's all liquid, it's very heavy. The heart is very light. Usually the liver is heavy, not the heart. Hashem said, I will make the heart very heavy. Why? Kaved in Hebrew, what does it mean? Heavy. The word kaved. This bottle. Kaved. Bakbu kaved. Very heavy bottle. The liver in Hebrew called kaved. It's already show you that it's very heavy. But here Hashem turned it around. That the, the heart was even heavier. What does it mean? The Gemara have to explain. What does it mean? Give him a room to be mistaken. Let him live in illusion. Let him develop expectation. The, they say a joke in Israel about one foolish guy. He was a real fool. That he came to work, to, he came to a job interview in a lawyer's office. He said, I, I heard that you're advertising, that you're looking for young lawyers. When he saw what a dumb person he is, <laughs> he said to him, yes, yes, don't worry, you got the job, come, come. This is your office, showing the nice office. She's going to be a secretary. We will get you one espresso machine like this. This is the key of your new Mercedes. So the stupid guy started to realize that it's too good to be true. So he said to him, come on, you're not serious. You're joking with me, right? You're teasing me, right? So the owner of the office said, you started. <laughs> Meaning... Why do you come here thinking to, to get a job such a fancy place? Go where you belong. Same thing with Paro. You pretend to be a god. You pretend to be in control. Let's play with your game. We'll go, we go, we'll go along with that. That's why I always tell people. When they tell me, Rabbi, I may get this, I may get that, I may get approved. Maybe they'll give me that shidduch. I'm waiting for a positive answer. I always bring them down to earth. Do not develop any high expectation. Don't get too excited. Why? The higher your expectation gets, the harder the fall is. 
the disappointment. If you didn't expect anything. If you know there's a person that is very stingy and cruel, he won't save you from bankruptcy. So if you send letters out to all your friends hoping they will donate to you that you can get back on your feet and feed your family, from him you did not develop any expectation. Because you know, best case scenario, he may give $50. That's it. That's not going to save your situation. Because you did not have any expectation from the stingy guy, when he sent you 20, he did not break your heart. But when you know someone is very generous, he always give a lot of thousand, five, 10, 20, when someone is in trouble, and he sends you $100, that breaks you. What happened, Moshe? You're so depressed. That's it. I was hoping this guy will save me. Look what he sent me. I'm finished. Why? The more expectations you have, the more pain you get. So you learn from people, I don't have any expectation. Nothing whatsoever. If they will surprise and do something great for you, fantastic, it's a bonus. If not, I did not expect anything anyway. It's written in Tehillim. Al tiftechu bin divim beben adam she'en lo teshua. We say it every morning in the tefillah. Tetzer uchoy ashuv l'admato. Now he's here, tomorrow he's going to be in a grave. What do you develop in expectation in people to save you? You understand, Rabotai? So we learn a very important concept tonight. That there is a situation that a person can do so bad in a period of time and his tank will be full of sins and each sin has a different value. Some sins equal like a thousand others, depending on how severe it is. And that a person will reach a level that from this moment on Hashem will move him from the free will into the finished people, the blacklist. And we learn it from Paro. After the seventh plague, after the sixth one, seven, eight, nine, uh, I mean eight, eight, nine, and ten, Hashem already said to Moshe, Paro cannot listen to you anymore. Now it's payback. Whatever he says, it's not relevant. He is not able to release you anymore. Until now, he could, and he would get saved. After now, he cannot do it. And we, each one of us, God forbid, can be in the same situation. Depend what you do. Depend how many sins you do. That's why we always have to beg Hashem for mercy and give a lot of tzedakah and learn a lot of Torah and learn a lot of Musar. And when we pray, we have to do confession with a real broken heart. When Yom Kippur comes, we take it serious. The goal is to lower the level of the sin as much as possible all the time. It's similar to me and my phone. All day I'm busy deleting videos. Why? Because twice a day goes, your memory is full. Can't even open WhatsApp. Why? People send me so many things, especially in vaccine days. Everybody with his ego try to prove why you should go against the chief rabbi of the world. So it fill up the phone every few hours. So all day you have to delete videos. Imagine if it would be the same thing with the sins. 
All day you're busy deleting the scenes, working on your ego, working on generosity, working on your hard working. Tfilin, tfila, Torah, Musar, fixing the bad personality traits. I will finish with a story that sent us home with a little tear in our eyes. In Bnei Brak, there was a righteous girl. Her name was Elisheva Meshulami. Righteous girl. It's a true story. In, in 22nd day of Av, Tavshin Samech Gimel, it was 18 years ago, she walked into a bus with her mother to go daven in a western wall, in a kotel. On the way back home, she got killed in a suicide bomb. One Arab went on Kavstein, the bus number two, blew up the bus, and she died. They wrote a book about her, about Elisheva. In the time of the Shiva, her father gave a speech. His name is Rabbi Meshulem Meshulami. He said that Elisheva, she needed a special instrument to straighten her back. Her back was a little bit crooked. You know, they put it in the back, like metal, that make the spine straight. Scoliosis? Scoliosis. We'll learn another word. Scoliosis. Sounds like a Greek word, no? Scoliosis. All right. So, as because of that, so she needed, because of that, she needed white clothes. Because you need like a, a white sweater to cover it. It's, you have to be, it has to be double on the size. If normally you wear small, now you need extra large. How else are you going to get dressed? So she went shopping all day to be able to find a sweater that she can fit into it with this scoliosis. She couldn't find one. She is very modest girl, very righteous. So she decided to go buy wool and knit herself a white sweater that she will be able to wear with this. So, she was very special, this Elisheva, when it comes to modesty. Very, very strict about it. And we have a rule that when a person dies in the nation of Israel, you have to purify his body. He spill a few gallons of water on the body, purify the body. And they make him wear special tachrichim made out from linen. That's how they bury the people. But someone that was murdered by a goy, the goy murdered a Jew, you don't need to purify his body. And you don't remove his clothes with him. You have to bury him with the clothes that he was wearing in the time of the murder. Not only that, you don't even take off his shoes. You don't remove it. You bury him as he was in a time when he lost his life. Because that brings 
anger in a world about these antisemite goyim for what they're doing to us. And it, it's bring kitrug. That's how he goes into the grave, with the clothes. So the father said in a eulogy for her, he said, Elisheva, because she was murdered by a goy, they buried her with the clothes she was wearing with this special sweater. With this device, in, went directly into the grave. When she stood in front of Hashem, she did not need to justify her righteousness. This device already spoke for who she was. Like the big tzaddikim say, when I die, bury me with my gemara, bury me with my stick, bury me with this. So that's how she went to Olam Abba. We have people in today's generation, people in today's generation that save all of us from another Holocaust. Every time the, the tank of the entire Jewish nation is about to be full and chas v'shalom, another Holocaust should start, Hashem, look at these few tzaddikim that give their life and cry and do wonderful things. And it's preventing it by another few years. And again, and give extension. More and more and more. Yeah, there's few big tzaddikim. And they give us life. The sad part is that when you go to Israel, you have a bunch of tzaddikim. I know a few of them personally. Biggest tzaddikim in the world. Rav Ades, Rav Kook. A few other ones. You, they, you can put them definitely in the 36 top tzaddikim in the world. And the secular Israelis that live thanks to these tzaddikim, how they appreciate the life that they get every day thanks to these tzaddikim by speeding at them and beating them up and writing articles against them. We should bring them to justice. Today, one of these fools say, we have to take actions against the leaders of the religious community, meaning of Kanievsky, to arrest him. Do you know who said that? Gantz, the fool. The mumbling idiot. Why? Because Rav Chaim Kanievsky told some of the yeshivot to continue to learn Torah. Because without Torah, as soon as they closed the yeshivot, the amount of dead people tripled. Tripled. Right away, went from 40 to 90. In the old generation, they were smart enough not to deal with the leaders of the religious people, knowing it's going to bring a million people to the streets. Now they are so dumb that they don't think anymore what they're doing. That's why I'm worried. Because there's no, there's no end to their foolishness. Look, they closed the airport. They locked down Israel. They don't care that thousands of Israelis are stuck in different places in the world with no security, no money. They don't care. Some Israelis got the first shot of the vaccine. They're supposed to get the second one three weeks later. And now they're stuck outside of Israel. They won't be able to get the shot. 
השם יצילנו רבותיי. Hopefully we'll have better days coming, even though it looks very discouraging. Everybody must do his best to contribute to the, save, to the saving of the Jewish nation. It's now, it's now or never. If we miss the train and the tank will be full, we're going to feel it bad, very bad. That's why it's the responsibility of those who knows Hashem runs the world, knows that we are being punished, they have the right ideology. It's now time to do everything we can. The more we do, the less we're going to be punished. The less we do, the more we cry later on. You understand what I'm saying? And, you know, when people used to go to, go to, to take bodies to, to funerals, so the goyim allowed to take the bodies out of Yerushalayim because you cannot bury people in Yerushalayim. You have Bet HaMikdash, you have Kohanim. So the Jews found a way to smuggle merchandise. They started to put in a, in supposedly in a coffin, instead of a body, a lot of whiskey and gold. So the Romans, they see that the Jews coming with the body, and they're talking and laughing. Nobody's crying. What kind of a funeral is that? So one time the guy said, he suspected that something is fishy. He said, open, open it. Come on, it's a body. Cannot do it. Open. No, please don't open it. It's, it's, it's my uncle. No, open it. They open. They see tons of gold. Now all the Jews started to cry. The soldier told them, you fools. If you would cry before for two minutes when you pass the border... You wouldn't have to cry now for 20 years in jail. That's what I tell each one of you. Cry now for the next few weeks before we have to cry forever, chas v'shalom. At least we save ourselves. If we can't save the whole nation, at least we save ourselves and our children. Baruch Adonai Amen v'amen. Rabbi Hanania ben Akashia Omer.